It's the book that's called Infinite Jest. People say it's great, but they're not right. Written by David Foster Wallace. You know you won't finish your first try. No relatability to find. The Infinite Jest, tennis and drugs and rambling all night. Infinite Jest, whether the great is concave or convex. Infinite Jest, see footnote 304 for more context. Psoriasis faces in huge rhymes of skin, paralytic hydrocephaly and such and such and such. This is the jest that never ends. Oh yes, this jest is infinite. Well, David Foster Wallace wrote it thinking it was good, and people just went swallowed it and something so they should. It is the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast, episode number eight, pages 211 to 242. Our guest this week is Dalton Pruitt, a comedian currently living in New York City. He is from Texas. I did not write down his tags. I mean, his handles. His handle tags. One second. You can find him at his handle tag on Twitter at NewDalton69420. Find him on Facebook under Dalton Pruitt. Great episode this week. We are doing pages 211 to 242. Um, A lot of this focuses on... Joel, aka Madame Psychosis, an interesting, much better than last week. Got it. I don't want to apologize for last week because I uh, don't believe in apologizing because I am a white dude and yeah, apologies get you nowhere. They say. Yeah, we were we were a little harsh on that particular section. I've uh, read ahead enough, I gotta say, you know, I don't deny, I don't doubt David Foster Wallace's, you know, empathy for other people. Just some of those fucking lines in there. Guys, I know, I know the stereotype is that a lot of upper class young men find this book and it speaks to them. But I mean, I don't know, I, I felt it important to point out that like, you know, if... It, <laughs> For a guy who has so much humility, supposedly, I know that seems to be everybody's saving grace on David Foster Wallace. Like, oh, he was so self-critical and he, oh, he's second-guessed himself. But then to just put out there like, oh, yeah, people with high IQs have a harder trouble quitting. Like, you know what? That's probably fucking true. But maybe recognize for a second, again, that, you know, I've known depressives. And one thing with depressives is they tend to exaggerate things a lot. I had an old roommate who, uh, we're not on speaking terms right now, which is kind of a bummer. It's not anybody's specific problem. He just, you know, he pulled his head into his turtle shell and that's where he's comfortable living for right now. But he had such like a shame thing enough to the extent he was also a big pothead. So that'll come into factor here where he just had this big shame around sex and himself. And I just remember him one night, just like tears in his eyes saying like, you know, don't you think that, like, for me to have this this bad, this mental illness, that I must have done something really, really bad in a past life to deserve this? By the way, I'm not, I'm trying to, you know, 
convey emotion here. I'm not trying to mock him. But, you know, like, you know, don't you think in a past life I must have done something terrible to feel this pain now? And I responded like, well, dude, doesn't it say something that somebody who has a natural shame and low feeling about themselves would concoct a way to make it even bigger? Like, you know, like, oh, it's not that, you know, it, it, it's not that I was born with a small dick. I must have been a serial rapist in a past life. Like, buddy, maybe you just have a small dick. I'm sorry. And you just gotta, you gotta live with that. I don't know how the fuck I got on that thing. Um, oh, yeah, but somebody pointed out on uh, Reddit, a Daryl Ductwork pointed out, I have been enjoying the podcast. Hope you get through the whole thing. Um, I had a question. Is it a coincidence that you get people who generally agree with you on each week? That's a, that's a good point. Um, I don't think that's that. I, I'm definitely not trying to get people who agree with me. I mean, for one thing... The, the guests are usually picked way in advance, and then whatever I read, when I get to them, you know, when I first started, there was definitely like, okay, I hate this book, fuck this book. But I was having friends on who love the book, and I don't want to disrespect them. So, of course, I'm not going to come like, okay, well, this is my guest, Dan Ostrov. Dan, uh, justify why you like this piece of shit. You're a bad person for liking this. Any thoughts? <laughs> Your rebuttal, please. So... I think I definitely dealt with it with more of like a an even hand. And not only that, but for you, the listener, when I started this, I didn't know who the fuck was going to read this thing. I didn't know if this was going to get a big thing of, you know, uh, women who had had men rant and rave about David Foster Wallace to them. Or I didn't know if it was going to be fans of the book itself. I'm noticing a lot of the listeners are fans of the book itself. And I'm glad you're here. And, you know, again, I try to say, like, the hate the hate of this book, I'm trying to be hyperbolic, but uh, I really don't like it. But th- the fact that I don't like it, I don't want to, like, hi, welcome to the I Hate Infinite Jest podcast. Here is why you are dumb for loving a thing. No, that's, uh, most of the things I love are dumb. I love professional wrestling. It's dumb as shit. It's indefensibly fucking dumb. And you know who comes off the worst out of professional wrestling fans? Are people who defend it despite it's dumb. Despite it's dumb. Despite it's being dumb. So with a book like this that is so intellectual, you can see where the gap is here. So I'm not trying to... I'm giving my guess the benefit of the doubt, which is why when I have somebody on like Katu or somebody like Hufei, which by the way, listen to their Lil Saint podcast, Island podcast. When I have them on and it's a particularly rough chapter and I can take off the kid gloves because they're like, oh yeah, I fucking hated this. Then yeah, I'm going to get a little, you know, it's kind of like you see when you see like street fight videos where you see two dudes fighting and then once the guy's down, you can see the people on the edge like, I could probably get in and kick him right now. Now's a good time. Nobody's protecting him. So I want to get in and I want to kick, you know, pages 90 to 121. It's a natural impulse. But yeah, it's something I definitely want to keep an eye on. Um, again, this week we had Dalton Pruitt on and... Uh, he he loves he loves the book, but he understands the bad things about it. And yeah, well, you be the judge because I went in and I was kind of okay with this section. It definitely gave me some new insight on uh, Joel Van Dyne and Madame Psychosis. 
But and it, this was actually an interesting one just because that was the bulk of the pages we were working on was talking about that. So, yeah, uh, in that it was a singular next week, even more so. I'm pretty sure our entire section is just uh, Hal and Oren talking for 30 pages, which I've enjoyed very much. It might have something to do with what I like. Um, but, yeah, so we were kind of even-handed this week. Interestingly, I had to take a break in the middle of this because the room I record this in is the hottest room in our house. And I, well, our house, our third floor apartment above a bar in Port Richmond, Philadelphia, in the year of our Lord 2020. Well, <laughs> in the year of the Tux medicated pad, um, I almost passed out due to the heat. I mentioned the Tux medicated pad because for the... Uh, <laughs> For not wanting to seem impolite or crass, I told Dalton I was dealing with some lower back spasms. The truth of the matter is, again, Tuck's medicated pad. I'm wearing one right now because I have a hell of a goddamn hemorrhoid. It has ruined my fucking week. It, just imagine a golf ball in your anus at all times. Not even just like fun times, you know, wild Saturday night, golf ball up there, sure. I'm talking work day, like sitting down at your desk, nine o'clock, eight hours ahead of you, golf ball in your butt. Really, really not fucking fun. It's bad. Um, so if I sound like I am uh, straining or pained, poor Dalton had to watch me on Zoom, like standing up, bending over, moving around. I had to take a break at one point. But, yeah. So, if you're wondering, that will be the mystery of why I sound so pained this week. Um, where the fuck is this? Ooh, so, I want everybody to go out and read this. I found very interesting. An article written on lareviewofbooks.org. It is written by Julius Taranto. That is T-A-R-A-N-T-O. September 15th, 2018. The title is On Outgrowing David Foster Wallace. I... Love this article so much. I actually tried to get Julius on just because, well, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get some names on here. And I know he, this is something he wrote several years ago. He said, uh, thank you for the email. He declined to appear, feeling that he said everything he needed to say in that article. But it was very interesting. And I'm finding more and more how people get into this book, how they grow out of it a little. And, uh, yeah. Really, really worth a listen. So, yeah, look up Julius Taranto on outgrowing David Foster Wallace. Next week, we're going to have the first in our side series. These will be called Footnotes because I'm so goddamn clever. I can't help myself. I'm so goddamn. I am golf ball in the butt clever. That is me. By the way, you may have noticed that I did not get around to recording a new theme song this week because... Uh, just life comes at you. I'm interviewing for a big job again tomorrow, second interview. So just a lot of, a lot of stuff going on. But yeah, we'll be doing next week, we'll be doing an episode on This Is Water. And I'm uh, really looking forward to that. So please check that out. Guys, the podcast is growing. We're almost at 2,000 downloads total. We're getting, at this point, we're getting about 1,000 downloads a week, which is way better than I thought. I don't know if I've said this before. I had a previous podcast, the um, Magical Misery Tour, where we interviewed the tagline being where funny people discuss life's unfunniest things, where we'd have on comedians and we'd talk about, you know, sad stuff. And I personally loved it. I thought there was some great art in there. But uh, 
you know, people just didn't really listen to it just because our guests were open mic comedians from Philadelphia. So, I mean, unless you know that particular open mic comedian, you don't really have an in to make you want to listen, you know? So, the funny thing that I tried to do that podcast thinking it would be a a wide berth and then from there going like, fuck it, I'm going to do this super niche podcast about this cult book that almost nobody finishes and I'm going to do, I'm going to do a takedown of that book for a podcast and suddenly this is the one that's getting attention? Fuck, man. I don't know what I'm going to do when I'm done with the book. I think I might need to come up with, it just needs to be the I hate this thing you love podcast and I need to come up with more things people love to digest and mock and maybe turn around on find the good find the good in it so we'll we'll see where we go with that anyway what i'm getting at is you could really help me by sharing liking subscribing rate on itunes i don't know why the fuck itunes isn't itunes isn't showing the image uh i'm i'm trying i'm really trying i don't know what the problem is but yeah, share. We're on YouTube now if you want to watch there. I know a lot of people, if you're at work, it's a lot easier to just plug into the old computer itself and have that on in the background. Um, I randomly added a, a <laughs> I had a friend of mine, Joe Garifo. He does claymation. I had him put together a claymation video to one of my stand-up jokes. So that is on, you can find that at Mr. Jezico. That is M-R-J-E-Z-Z-I-C-H-O on YouTube. And, uh, yeah, you know, tell me, tell me what you think. It ain't, it ain't David Foster Wallace writing. It's, it's something to do with guns and dildos. And that's all you need to know about that. Anyway, guys, thank you for being here as always. Um, if I fuck up, let me know. I'm actually, I'm very glad that Reddit fella reached out to me because it's going to, I'm going to be more cognizant of that in the future. So if there's anything you think can make the podcast better, anything anything at all hey maybe don't talk about golf balls up your butt you drive a hard bargain but i'm open to compromise episode eight dalton pruitt the i hate infinite jest podcast pages 211 no relatability to find infinite jest tennis and drugs and rambling all night infinite jest whether the great is concave or convex infinite jest Okay, here we are. I Hate Infinite Jest podcast number eight. This week, our guest, uh, comedian from New York, Dalton Pruitt. Well, not from New York, in New York. I'm fucking this <laughs> up already. Dalton Pruitt, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm very good. Where Where are you actually from? I'm from Texas. Okay, that's what I thought. I looked up some of your stuff before this, and I remember you saying uh, some stuff about that. Um, so, yeah, anything you have to plug before we start? Uh, yeah, listen to my podcast. It's called The Loud Boys. I do it with uh, comedians Robbie Goodwin and Joe Gorman. Okay. So that would be it. Cool. What's uh, what's that podcast like? Is it just just you guys shooting shooting the shit and stuff? Yeah, just <laughs> we're just goofing off, uh, just being funny. We'll have a guest on every now and then. I think mm-hmm. you know we've had some some decent guests. We've had Mike Racine on and ah, Zach okay. Amico. <laughs> nice no, i always I, I always envy the guys who can do like the the just shooting the shit podcast I've, I've tried that with my buddy a few times and it just you need the right amount of uh you need the right night right ratio of shooting the shitters on that 
Um, okay, so yeah, what is uh, what what is your reading background? Tell us t- tell us how you came to read this the the G B O A T greatest book of all time here. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I've um. Yeah, I, I mean, I have an English degree. Like, I, I studied um, literature in college uh, with, I guess, my concentration is in creative writing. But, um, yeah, like, I, uh, I've always enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed literature enough to pay, like, 40 grand to, <laughs> to study it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, I was always one of those, like, um lonely kids who just would always go to the library and check out you know big books that were ahead of what I should have been reading at the time mm. um and so like with this book i mean you know like the 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 reputation this book has i i can't remember how i first heard, i think you know what i i do remember how i first heard about it there was i saw some interview with like um it was an interview with Stephen King where they were asking him like, what are you reading? And he just, he mentioned this book, mentioned infinite jest. And I was like, I don't, I've never even heard of that. And so I looked it up and then I started following all the, um, the hate that it gets online <laughs> and the, the mythology surrounding it, how it's this insanely difficult book and no one can finish it. And every, every bro has it in his apartment, but he's never read it. And I was like, I'll, I, okay, I'll buy it. You know, it was like 14 bucks on Amazon. So I bought it. It, it is and, an enticing pitch that the world gives it. I mean, hard to read, equally loved and hated. Yeah. And, and there's also no good uh, synopsis for it. Like anything you read right. where they, like any plot summary you read, nobody's able to really tell you what this book's about. It's kind of impossible to spoil. Yeah, and so it it is just like this big mystery that you have to like crack open and kind of uh figure out for yourself. Hmm. Um so I'm trying I can't remember how old I was. I'm I'm 27 now. I think I was like 22 or 23 when I read it. Um okay. See, that's interesting cuz that was uh the age I was at when I first tried to read it and one of the things that's come up a few times with people on this podcast that the age you read it seems to have a big, uh, a, a big determining factor on how much it impacts you. Uh, like the people I've spoken to who have just loved, loved, loved this book the most have read it around like, I think 17, 18, 19. Um, yeah. I mean, well, I, at the time that I read, cause like, I guess at its core, if I was to try and like boil down what this book is really about, I mean, it is just about loneliness and addiction. And mm-hmm. so, I was in college at the time and I was certainly though. Yeah. I was dealing with that, especially like addiction, especially I was, I had like a big drinking problem. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it did resonate with me. Like I, it took me like six months to read. Uh-huh. Um, and it did, it made me feel kind of more lonely in a way, but, <laughs> uh, now that I'm in this, uh, very small club of people that finished it, but, um, yeah, I mean, it did have kind of an effect on me in the way I think about um, ad- like addiction and I don't know, like the, the human condition. <laughs> There's a lot of deep stuff in the book, and it's uh, it's hard to like get to all of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I mean, could you actually elaborate on that a little bit? Like how 
like how how did it change like how did you feel about addiction before versus like after just because that my my specific experience with this book is that uh it, it it would be fine if i didn't if i just didn't like it and there are parts that now that i'm getting through it there are parts of it i like it's building up my beef with it has always been just i i didn't get it and the fact that other people seem to get you know it's it, it's it's very frustrating when like two people are looking at the same painting and one person is having a life-changing experience and then the other guy's looking at him like why am i not getting what you are getting you know that's pretty um, much the entire purpose of this podcast <laughs> yeah i mean i'm it's been years since i've read it so i'm i but what i remember is like <clears throat> uh just the way it um handles the subject of addiction it because like with uh any movie you watch where like somebody goes to like an aa program or even in like an actual program it's like so serious and so melodramatic and it's like this um all or nothing thing mm -hmm. like with those kinds of things and uh i think like this book really it does find like uh the the humanity in addiction okay. and just being lonely and um it yeah i don't i don't know i think it just it uh encapsulates what what that is like in a way that i haven't seen in anything else just how um how isolating it can be to to deal with something like addiction but you said at the same time it made you feel more lonely. Why? 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 Exactly well, because the the did you see the movie? Did you see that um, end of the tour? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I watched that. Yeah. It's a bad movie. I did not enjoy it. But there there is a line in it where uh, David Foster Wallace, played by Jason Siegel, he says something where he's like, "You would have to be really lonely to." read a like a 1200 page book mm. like he, he mentions just how lon lonely even the act of reading this book is mm. i do i do remember feeling that way where it's like i was spending so much of my time uh like i couldn't wait to just get home and like keep reading this i did like i was kind of addicted to the book itself when i read it mm. uh and it, it, yeah it's like an isolating experience to invest so much of yourself into this big book and no one else has read it. Like, you try to talk to people about it, and they're like, "Yeah, I fucking hate that, but I'm never gonna read that." <laughs> See, it's funny to hear that from the side of uh, people who love the book, just because my experience has been like people. By and large, my my peer group just hasn't even read it or attempted to read it. Like women complaining about men who recommend it is probably like the single biggest chunk of like the pie chart when it comes to this book for me. But uh, at the same time, I'm enjoying just having anybody. Cause I, I really, the truth of the matter is my friends are not readers much at all. No. <laughs> so even this kind of discussion is great. Like you mentioned that I was very much a lonely boy reader as well. I remember uh, in third grade, my teacher, Mr. Liss, that fucking asshole. He actually called home and complained to my parents that I was reading too much during recess. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He should be out there running around and instead he's reading his Animorphs and Goosebumps and shit. And uh, 
I also once watched that teacher need a kid in the face and got away with it. So clearly we shouldn't be taking his advice on anything. But Hell yeah. Where'd you go to school? That sounds like the South. It, it was the South. South Jersey. Nah. Uh, okay. <laughs> nah, it was, uh, he, he knew he made a mistake immediately when the kid burst into tears. He like, imagine, imagine somebody kicking a dog and then picking it up, feeling bad and trying to get the dog out of the room before anyone could react to it. That's pretty much what it was. Uh, nice. Just, just, just very, very lower working class place. Like nobody was going to care anyway. Okay. But, you know, it's funny you mentioned, and I didn't expect to get into this at all, but I do miss uh, the fact that when it comes to like big time TV and the extended Marvel universe right now, that I feel like the, the term nerd culture has gotten a little bit too big because in modern nerd i know a lot a lot of my close friends always i don't really read fall into modern nerd culture but none of them fit that classic lonely boy like reading a book by themselves anymore yeah i don't know what happened like i remember when i was a like a teenager and like for example like when the when the show doctor who started coming back on uh-huh that was something nobody watched that like that you would be embarrassed and I watched it, but it was like embarrassing. <laughs> and then like something happened, I guess it was Chris Hardwick that changed everything. Cause then like all of this stuff became like popular mm-hmm. and then, uh, but that doesn't make you feel any less lonely. Now you're just like, well, I, <laughs> why yeah. am I still not fitting in? <laughs> right. It's like, there's all these, all these other people claim to have the same exact problems as me, and yet we still don't like each other somehow. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, yeah, that is weird how, like, all of the stuff that used to be kind of, like, niche or fringe is now such a part of the mainstream that even I'm sick of it. Like, I, I, I can't watch another Marvel movie. I There's something about superhero movies in general that really, like... All right, so here is my thing getting into Infinite Jest is uh, my issue with it is not that it's pretentious. I know a lot of people like, oh, you hate it just because it's kind of pretentious. I like a lot of pretentious shit. Sure. But, uh, ah, fuck, I actually lo- I lost my thought and I'm going to pause for a second because it was a good one. Okay. Uh, I, I like a lot of like dramatic films and I, was, I just said pretentious. I'm going to mention The Godfather, which is not exactly pretentious, but I like, you know, scorsese films and like real art house film shit and it does kind of bother me that our like movies like the godfather and like uh, cool hand luke those used to be like summer blockbusters but now our generation we're like so stunted that we can't handle drama unless it's like oh it can't be this you know this italian american family you know how do you keep your humanity while struggling to meet it in the new world only now it's oh well how is this mega billionaire with a mech suit going to save his human like they need to dress it up and sh- like cotton candyify up uh drama just to get people to eat it and they love it but it's a little like if they made the godfather today it would have to be like a superhero allegory somehow and that yeah. bothers me a lot well i mean the irishman did come out earlier this year or i guess at the end of 2019 um and that did not go well. So I don't know. Maybe maybe we're done with drama. Maybe, maybe it's over. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, well, I guess uh, Marvel will just have to hold on to drama from now on. I'll be fine with that. I mean, I yeah, I don't know what happened. I, I think people do. I mean, I enjoy spectacle. Like, I you know, I, 
I think just the Marvel movies are so, uh, and a lot of that, like what you would classify as like nerd stuff is mm-hmm. just so, um, mindless and cookie cutter in a way that I just can't do anymore. But I mean, I'll watch John Wick all day. So I'm, I'm a hypocrite. Oh yeah. No, everybody has, everybody has their favorite fast food, you know? Some people are happy with McDonald's and some people want to pretend they're above everybody else because they like In-N-Out Burger, but it's still garbage at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. Um, Let's get into the breakdown here. So those reading along, this is part eight. We're on pages 211 to 242. I got to be honest, I miss reading anything else other than this book just because just because I have to read and summarize everything. I really don't have time for anything else, but yeah, there's still some good shit happen here. All right. Uh, page two eleven. We meet Pemulus talking to Hal and Axford about DMZ, a powerful fungal hallucinogenic, a fungus that grows from other fungus, the Yale of the Ivy league of acid. There's a, there's a lot of qualifiers that he likes here. Uh, if acid itself took acid, not, not, not bad. Oh, so potent that LSD-25 was prescribed to come down from DMZ. Used for MK Ultra mind control, turns guns into hydrangeas and enemies into blood relatives. Studies stopped when it was deemed far too potent. Um, you know, you mentioned addiction stuff back there. Have you messed around with hallucinogens at all? Yeah, for sure. Um, I actually just took mushrooms last week. Oh, yeah? How was uh, it? Uh, it was, it was nice. I mean, I was the person I was with, uh, there was a lot of tension between us. Uh, it was, uh but, uh, so it is like that set and setting thing, but yeah, I still managed to pull through. So wait, did you take mushrooms together as kind of like a conflict resolution scenario? No, no, no. Um, um it, it's, it's way too complicated <laughs> to okay, describe okay, what's been okay. going on with this person. <laughs> Uh, but it ended up just being one of those things where she microdosed and I just ended up dosing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I kept taking like more and more, uh, nibbles on them. And then I was like, ah, damn it. This is a full dose. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I did mushrooms last week. I've, I've done them a handful of other times. I've taken pretty big hits of acid too. I mean, last yeah. summer, uh, me and my buddy, we each took like two and a half hits of acid and just went and walked around Manhattan so that's, that's that sounds like a nightmare okay i haven't i, I i'm i haven't i can't even really do pot just because my brain doesn't uh process it right but i i ask that because i know this is something that's going to be big in the book and i'm wondering if this is something like i would probably understand better had i done hallucinogens because just because i know this is going to be a major plot point um yeah i mean the thing about hallucinogens because the way the book describes this particular drug, uh, I've never taken anything that like knocks me on my ass like it like this. Uh, it it really because like pot actually is the worst of them for me. I I can't really smoke it, but like with okay. acid or mushrooms, um, I find them to be like pretty pleasant. Like it definitely alters the way you perceive everything around you, but it's not like, uh it's not like all that like fear and loathing stuff. Like it doesn't completely change everything. It just, mm-hmm. um, it just shifts the way you look at the world. See, after seeing, uh, I don't know if you saw midsummer, but I know that was kind of applauded by people. That is, 
yes, that is the most accurate depiction of mushrooms I've ever seen. That okay. really nailed it. Yeah. Okay. See, because that one makes me kind of want to try it, which is funny. The fear and loathing in Las Vegas, like oh, everything's wacky, but the one where you start the depiction where you start seeing dead relatives, I go like, oh, that doesn't look that bad. The the stuff in Midsummer where like the flowers are just kind of like breathing and like opening uh -huh. and closing, like that is, yes, that guy got it. That's <laughs> that is as close as I've seen a movie get to what that experience is like. Okay, listener out there, go watch Midsummer. Great movie. Um, okay, so Hal wants to not Hal, uh, Pemulus wants to try out the DMZ on Hal and Oxford before uh, he does anything with it, before he sells it. He's trying to decide whether to sell them to high octane thrill seekers or scientists who want to measure it, or the chaos route of just dosing some people. Pemulus talks about some literature he found on it that's been described as if acid took acid that some convict was shot with a superdose and lost his mind. I actually like this quote, as in the DMZ picked up his mind, put it somewhere else, and then forgot where they left it. Nice. Um, da -da -da. He considers everybody, oh, okay, he tries to do, is that true in real life where you kind of like block out a, a nice chunk of time for this? Like Pemulus here determines they'll need 36 hours to really responsibly get the full hit out of this? Uh, yeah, you do need, you, you're going to need some time set aside to like go through the trip. Cause it's like, I know people that can take, uh, psychedelics and just go about their day. Um, but if you're like actually tripping, like if you're trying to have like an experience, you do need like, mm. like with acid, I mean like 12 hours probably you, at least. You literally need to plan it like a day trip. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. They consider doing it after the big inter academy thing where Enfield kids play other academies for a fundraiser of some sort. November 20th, 21st is being the designated time. There's a footnote on Hal once being considered ADD, later corrected as having an almost obsessive level of interest and effort, as if Hal was obsessed with impressing some people though no expectations had ever been put on him in this regard. That Hal swallowed up dictionaries and encyclopedias whole and regurgitating them became a wonder wellspring of approval from authority figures. This despite that his authority figures never expected this of him. I can relate to this. I remember I, I read the dictionary as a young boy and uh, nobody thought it was a good idea. Nobody applauded no. me for that. I think my dad specifically tried to teach me some football tactics while I was doing that, so... I don't know. Did you ever have anything like that where you were like obsessively trying to? I don't, well, you know, let me ask you this: What character do you identify with most in Infinite Jest? Um, man, I don't know. I mean, I guess equal parts Hal and Don, because like, because like Hal is like the like cut off from the world. He can't really talk to anybody. Mm. Uh, he struggles with like social interactions. Uh, but then Don is also, uh, like an addict, you know, and like in recovery. So <laughs> I, I identify with like both of those traits. Mm -hmm. so I'm still looking forward to, uh, again, I haven't read that far ahead. So where I'm at now, they keep like teasing Gately and I know he's going to become a bigger thing. And I'm looking forward to it because everybody keeps telling me like, uh, 
last week's episode, I really did not enjoy the chapter, particularly where he was talking about the rehab clinic. But people keep telling me, like, just get th- just get to the Don Gately parts. You're going to you'll see he's like the hero of the novel. So so this is your first time reading the book. Uh, the first time I read, I read up until page like 400. And I just I just so was not in, I didn't enjoy any step of the way. So right. eventually I was just like, all right, why the fuck am I doing this to myself? So, right. Yeah, I get that. So, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is my first time reading it all the way through after arguing about it for years with people. I mean, I understand the hate it gets. Like, I don't try. I never try to defend this book. I'm mm-hmm. like, I just tell people, like, I enjoyed it, but I also understand why people would hate it. Like, it's, right. But that's what I'm finding out with this. Po- a lot of the people who listen to the podcast are people who love the book. I, I think it's one of those things where even if you have a different disagreement on a different outlook on something, if you still love something obsessively, you'll still like listening it to to it being made fun of as long as it's in a just of obsessive detail as you love it. Yeah. So is it we're supposed to be making fun of the book on this podcast? No, we don't have to make fun of it. We're just I mean you know, we can't cuz I mean it's like there are there there are things about it that are like just tedious and pretentious for sure right well there's also stuff about the fan base i mean i know i had a thing the other day where it seems like i i hate the fact that anytime like uh over over entertainment happens people have to go like oh see it's like infinite jest infinite jest predicted this like yeah we also you know we went from looking at radios in the 1940s to like I hate that people try to put that as like, oh, he really predicted the future. Like, no, he saw he saw a thing that had been trending upward for 70 years and said, oh, yeah, that'll go a little bit farther. Like, I don't think I, a- I am impressed at how well he just understands people like that. That whole section where he pretty much describes FaceTime and why no that, one wanted yeah. to use it. <laughs> like, even now, like we're on Zoom. No one enjoys Zoom. <laughs> this right. Yeah, and he he breaks down like why people would not like this and why they had to like wear masks, and then they just stop using it altogether. I was like, <laughs> not only did he predict like FaceTime, but he also predicted the way people would respond to that technology. Oh yeah, now believe me, I can tell you right now, there are people who are invested in Zoom who are already trying to figure the exact moment they can pull their money out because this entire product is going down the shitter as soon as people can see each other in person again. Yeah. Like everybody's just kind of making do. Okay. Uh, next chunk, page 219 to 223. We meet Joelle Van Dyne for the first time. She will be revealed to us as Madame Psychosis. She is thinking of the best part of the party, that invisible moment when it begins to end. She's planning on killing herself. Uh, quote here The hours before suicide are usually an interval of enormous deceit and self-involvement um so yeah i actually wanted to talk about something he's leaving a lot of clues yeah (laughs) he's dropping some breadcrumbs yeah yeah reads reads kind of bad like you gotta so the thing i wanted to talk about here is i had a friend kill himself a few years ago and i have thought like meticulously like what their must hour last hours must have been like um really heartbreaking thing he had uh texted my good friend joey like the night he killed himself asking 
hey buddy what are you up to can we hang out he's like oh uh we're taking my mom out for her birthday i'll hit you up tomorrow and obviously tomorrow never came yeah damn dude all right i'll go a little further i'll leave <laughs> i'll leave the really fucked up part of that story um so this guy lived by himself he he hung himself wasn't found for two weeks they found him two weeks later and uh all i have to say was his dog was with him and his dog was just healthy so damn dude yeah his dog kind of ate him a little bit that's god suicide is fucked up anyway let's keep going the party is for molly notkin whom joelle met in a doctoral program orals in film and film cartridge theory the party is to celebrate her graduation from the program molly is obsessed with a man who believes men only have a limited number of erections in a lifetime and so is agonized with guilt when he wastes them on trivial arousals apparently that's a real thing i read that there are some people who believe that like you only get like a certain amount of ejaculations in your lifetime and that's why masturbation is like the worst thing in the world i mean that's technically true i mean because it's like you're gonna die one day so well, you're uh, done coming after that well eventually yeah i mean <laughs> on a long enough a, timeline you're done having boners yeah at a certain point we use up our best comes but no like there's like cultures that apparently believe like like a ticker like you get two thousand like there goes one so if you use up all two thousand orgasms by the time you're 30 like that's just it i've heard that uh I don't know if there's any science to back that up, but I've, I've definitely heard about this. It sounds like a fun idea for a short movie. I mean, that's pretty much what NoFap is. Like all those guys who are like, <laughs> uh, like my, my energy, I, I can't wait, just waste my body's spiritual energy. Mm. So, I mean, well, like that old boxer thing. Like, no, you can't, can't masturbate or have sex before a fight. It makes you weak in the knees. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think I've used up all of mine yet. So I, I think I'm okay. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed on that one. Yeah. Um, let's see. Oh, okay. Jill watches, I mean, Joelle watches the party fade out as she pictures her life and impasse impending death passing before her, like a 16 millimeter movie. Um, Again, these are my notes as I type them. So I put here, I, apparently she knew Oren, as we find out. Her and Oren were lovers for quite a bit of time. Yeah. Um, one thing I found very uncomfortable about this, uh, <laughs> about this chapter, a part, uh, this chapter could also be renamed One Note Black Characters Harass Madam Psychosis as she walks around. There's a bunch of, like, some black men call her bitch and ask where the wedding's at because she's wearing her veil. Oh, my God, dude. The way That's the most embarrassing thing about this book is the way he writes black characters. Mm. It's just, it, it's, that's humiliating. Like, the, the sections where anytime a black person talks is, is just cartoonish. Oh, yeah. No, every time a black person wanders onto the literary scene, I'm, it's, all, you know. Where you going to be going? Like, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have even done that. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. No, keep know. going. Do it. Do it. <laughs> if I do it just right, they can't get mad at me. Um. <laughs> uh, did you ever read? He wrote an essay about that, like pretty much just being racist. He, he wrote, I forget the name of the essay, like what it was called, but it was about the difference between like standard written English and, um, oh, was, it a, was it about how black guys walk like this, but, uh, it, it the, kind the, of the is. Okay. It kind of actually is. It's about how like black people have 
he goes, it's valid the way that black people speak, but on the written word, English, he pretty much makes the argument that like English is inherently a white man's language. And if, if I, any of my students, uh, turn in a paper that have any like, um, a, like AAVE in it where they would write the way they would speak, he will like fail the <laughs> like market red and fail them for it. See, I've heard as him as a teacher was particularly not cool. Like, like he would no. like humiliate his students by like, and obviously these were a lot of kids who like loved his work, who were writing, you know, writing uh, in his writing class. That's the weird thing about like academia and especially like the world of like literature. Cause I experienced that in my, when I was in college, it's like so many of your professors are just like it's like a placeholder while they're working on their book yeah so it's like could you imagine like being in a college class and then later realizing that your professor was the guy that wrote infinite jest <laughs> like it, yeah um, nah, this, i know well we know that in comedy quite a bit that uh one of the most infuriating things doing comedy is people who've been doing it less long than me and then you see they're teaching a stand-up class. Oh, yeah. And you kind of want to be the one to shake them. Like, you shouldn't even be doing stand-up. Why do you think you can teach somebody? That's, they- that's way worse, though. <laughs> like, a stand-up class is a complete scam. I mean, at least I, I understand teaching a writing class. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, when a, an actual writer teaches a writing class. But the people that teach stand-up classes usually never... <laughs> they haven't succeeded in anything. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what do I have here? Uh, okay. We get a brief synopsis on works written by Helen Steeply. She comes up more in the next chapter. We've obviously met Steeply and Marie. Um, oh, she, she does the same thing as, uh, the, oh, wait a sec. I might've just put something together right now. Uh, was Joelle the person we met who was obsessing over the marijuana order earlier in the book? No, that was, um, Ederdy, Erdity, I forget his name. Erdity, okay. Yeah. Okay, because they have the same issue of uh, occasionally throwing away all drug paraphernalia because that is just as good as getting clean in the moment. Hmm. Yeah, I've been there, dude. I've poured, I've poured out beer and then bought it again. <laughs> yep. That that big uh, cathartic moment where you like imagine the soundtrack behind you. You're almost imagining like I'm pro- probably win a Golden Globe for what I'm doing right now. This is a big performative thing. Yeah. <laughs> Shit. All right, but I really hate to do this to you. It's really hot in this room. I gotta go grab some water real quick. I'll be right back. Okay? Yeah. No Sorry worries, man. Okay. Sorry about that, Matt. Real talk. It is sweltering in this room, and I felt like I was gonna pass out for a second there. So no, you're good. Where where are you? I don't even know where you where you live. Oh, I'm in uh, Philadelphia. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Where? So yeah, that's a. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna ask where you were in New York. Oh yeah, I'm in Brooklyn. I'm in Bushwick. Okay. Yeah, because you were you're one of those. Uh... So I started this podcast thinking like, oh, I have a bunch of friends who like this book, and then within three episodes, I ran out of people I knew. So I pretty much went back to every Katu King th- thread where she mentioned infinite jest. And that's where I found <laughs> you on it. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, okay. We have it revealed here that Joel is, uh, the star of the entertainment infinite jest that she spent 16 months with James in Candenza filming something. Nobody knew what, 
in the footnote, it's mentioned there's a, a whole lot, a lot of the thing they did with Maraith and Steeply, where it was like, are they a double or triple agent or were they, did they know or were they pretending, pretending to pretending to know? So we have here, Oren left the family, possibly because Joel and James were lovers. Footnote shows he knew they weren't lovers, but his mother Avril didn't know they weren't. A whole back and forth kind of thing here. But this is where we get the first uh, real look at what the entertainment is, where Joel says she was being shot through a wobbly lens, maternally saying, I'm so sorry, so terribly sorry, over and over again. And that was the last thing they shot together. And himself ordered the cartridge buried with him in his casket. And he left Joelle an absurd annuity that enabled her drug use, further giving yeah. the impression they'd been lovers. So at this point, I, I'm a, I forget where the actual footnote is. But like, have you gotten to the, uh, the filmography section? Yes, we got that a little bit earlier. Okay, yeah. So apparently there were like three or four infinite jests that he was he made and then the the entertainment I guess is the the completed product, the mm -hmm. the finished product uh of the the titular infinite jests that which is it's funny like the actual plot of this book is it is like it's just a spooky videotape that's like killing people. Yeah, it is the I want yeah, I wonder if this is that, I think this came out around the same time as like that the original book, The Ring. I, I don't know. Oh, I actually didn't know the original uh, The Ring had started as a book. I knew it started as like a Japanese horror movie, but I yeah, I believe it was a book first. It was are. like a trilogy. You talk. I'm actually gonna look that up real quick. Yeah, it's like a trilogy, and I think it ends with the reveal that it's actually a, a simulation. <laughs> and they. Oh. Uh, it's like some crazy cyberpunk story, actually. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is like the same idea as The Ring, where it's like there's this tape that people are watching that's killing them. And okay, then... you know, it's very, very possible because uh, The Ring novel came out in 1991. Oh, so damn. That's very possible. Some sticky fingers here. <laughs> that's right, yeah. Maybe, maybe that anxiety was... Uh well-placed that people thought he was a failure i don't know well, what is that quote like good artists borrow great artists steal so yes. it's like you know this is a great artist he just stole the, the the plot of the ring yeah okay um joelle arrives at molly knockin's party molly is dressed like carl marx as her final oral exam involved reviewing a marx film cartridge from the perspective of marx himself not a terrible idea uh, we find out that she was the young Oren's lover for two years. Um, I have this listed as a note, but I'm not sure if this is accurate. Was she unveiled in the entertainment? I don't believe so. Or maybe okay. maybe she was. I, I don't mean, know. Given how cause supposedly the, pretty she is, I mean, that would lend itself to the hypnotic aspect of it. I, I think, yeah, I think the book leads you to believe that maybe it's her that is the um the thing that's killing people i i mm. i don't know though it's kind of ambiguous well it does seem to be something about her in particular because i mean i was very harsh last week on just the concept of the madame psychosis radio show but i mean if it is something hypnotic about this person in general like i guess that's something i can buy into yeah i 
yeah, apparently she's just so pretty that people go crazy, which, hey, man, I've been there. I've met women like that. <laughs> you know, that's actually something I think about from time to time, because just the, I'll say this quietly because my girlfriend's in the next room. But, like, when you're just walking around and, like, you see, like, an attractive woman and then you look away, but then you find, it's like you have the initial look and then the look away and then the sly look. Like, how am I going to continue looking without being noticed? And just yeah. realizing that, like, as a man, like, oh, I haven't had that feeling for once, even in my life, of somebody looking at me like that. No, no. Um, yeah, this. Yeah, the way he he writes this character, it does it does just go to show that he, like a lot of men, really had issues with women. <laughs> yeah. Like to to write a character where it's like her entire um, character arc is she's she's too pretty. Right. <laughs> And he feels, and so he's basically saying, like, yeah, women have too much power over us because of how beautiful they are. It makes me so mad. <laughs> See, uh, this is a good part of the reason I'm glad uh, I had my cousin on a few weeks ago, who's like a great writer, and he, uh, not a great writer, but he's like a big literary guy. And he flat out said, like, if I had read this book when I was 17, I would have been dangerous because that would have, it would have appealed to all my, most self-pitying aspects of myself like uh, girls don't like me and that makes girls bad i mean i'm surprised is there like a particular incel community have the incels found this book yet um i i don't know i mean they're maybe they're too angry to read i maybe <laughs> I, I, I don't know because this is a very this is a, a very incel book I mean, mm. that would be my main criticism of it is it's like it, the book does have like a lot of uh, anger towards women and like mm. not being able to get laid. <laughs> See, that is actually a, a hot take I've tried to put out there before. Not that I am on the side of incels at all, but like I do kind of feel as bad as they are. I do kind of feel bad for them because I mean... It's yeah, like, of course. I I sympathize. I mean, it's like, yeah, when somebody drives a van through a crowd of people, that's bad. I can't exactly. like get, but it's like if like if somebody's like, and if someone's like really lonely and doesn't know how to express themselves and mm -hmm. do, doesn't know how to just like tell other people like, hey, I'm just like I'm hurting, right. <laughs> which is kind of actually that's what this book is about. So maybe yes. it is, maybe I've, maybe I'm flipped and this is a good commentary <laughs> on all that. I don't know, but it's like, yeah, I get it. It's like, if you're, if you're like an angry, lonely dude and you have no idea how to express your emotions and just tell other people like what it is that's like bothering you, then that's like a really isolating experience. And it, it like, it hurts. yeah, it's, it's, so. it's bad. Like one of the, uh, one of the things I've brought up a few times in comedy and this is a, uh, so we talked about reading this thing at the right time. I read a book at the wrong time, and that would be Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. Oh, fuck, dude. Yeah, I, whew, I, I've been, been there and back, thank God. But I read that when I was like 16, 17. And uh, yeah, turned me into a bit of a fucking asshole for a few years there that, you know, thankfully I just happened to mature out of. But did you, did you ever get really into Rush? I did not. Here, here's the fucked up thing. I love prog metal. I have a fucking dream theater tattoo on my wrist. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but I never specifically gotten to. Here's the thing when it comes to like prog rock, where it's so cheap, it, it, it lands on like a razor's edge of cheesiness. 
mm-hmm. where it can either be just a little less cheesy and I can like swallow it and it's really good or it gets a little too cheesy. And one of the things that's a little too cheesy that Rush and Dream Theater both did is like uh, they both made concept albums where it's like first draft bullshit like hey how about this for an idea how about a world where music is illegal like <laughs> yeah no, no. <laughs> yeah, dude, that go, rocks <laughs> go, but yeah but it's also it's the it's the first draft idea and it just it never works well like, no i mean i've look dude i've listened to Twenty One Twelve probably a hundred times so yeah. i do i get that it's cheesy but i love it oh but like, absolutely uh but yeah i mean they have like several songs about uh Ayn Rand and right they based it I off got, uh anthem i believe the book anthem yeah and i got i was like really into rush in high school and i i did end up reading i, I think i tried to read atlas shrugged and i was like this is boring it is but then i picked up anthem which is that's a crisp 150 pages right there so yep. i read that and i was like well this i don't agree with this <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but what I was going to say before is uh, one of the things that's come up in comedy a few times is that every time one of these school shootings happening, they they always come up with uh, there's always people you see a lot on social media like we need to expand like we need to be more careful with people who are dealing with severe mental issues and we really need to be more open and discussing people with mental health issues. And then these same people, I see them attacking like people with mental issues all the time because like they don't know how to talk to a girl or they say some bullshit on social media. And it's like, they're just, the, the sad truth is a lot of mental illness makes you a really annoying fucking person. Yeah. And I feel like we need to accept that as a society. If, I don't know. I think so much of the alt-right are just guys who need a hug. Yeah, I've said that. I mean, yeah, especially with all that incel stuff, it's just like um, you can't like. <laughs> I I don't understand how you could just you could get mad at somebody just because they haven't gotten laid. <laughs> I mean, I, I I their their response to that, yes, you could get mad if they become like an angry, bitter person, but mm-hmm. to like just blindly label anyone who's dealing with like mental health issues that's stopping them from uh like properly socializing. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. There's like no real consistency with that kind of thing because it's like they say they want better mental health care, but then they just make fun of all all of these guys. So well, I, I, I think that might be all right. I'm gonna come off a little edge lord here. I'm gonna have a hot take. Uh, I feel women and men deal with mental health very, very differently, and oh, a lot. Of course. And when they're saying we need more acceptance for mental health issues, that's a lot of women talking about women's mental health issues because their mental health issues like worst case scenario their ex is going to file a restraining order against them they're not going to be the guy like you know going on fucking 4chan and like posting pepe the frog and swastikas and shit like that yeah well it also it is it's just not i i don't know i can't i'm not a woman but i imagine it's still not as lonely for a woman even if she's dealing with like mental health stuff because if you're a woman especially if you're like just moderately attractive people still like gravitate towards you but if you're just like a sad lonely dude it's not like you're gonna have people in your orbit (laughs) you're just gonna be alone no it's just it's a fucking wasteland and not to mention then you have a so i have a cousin who is like an undeclared incel really he's an incel that's just not that into the internet that he hadn't picked his major yet he was (laughs) yeah (laughs) 
I, I'm thinking of double majoring in inceldom and, uh, you know, white, white privilege. Let's see. But, uh, like his thing is that he tries to make it like, oh, well, my standards are just too high. Like, you know, if I was to get with a girl and this is something people shit on with incels, like, oh, they only want beautiful women around them. Like, no, 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 no. They're terrified of women. So they are putting their goalposts so high that they never have to make the attempt and they never have to fail. Like that is heartbreakingly dude, that's, tragic. That's the move. That's the move, dude. That's what you do. <laughs> that's right. You can't, you can't fail if you never try. So that, I mean, that's great. <laughs> oh God. Okay. Let's get back into this. Uh, da, 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 da. Um, okay. 90 days after the completion of filming, James Incandenza killed himself by breaking the front of a microwave, sticking his head in and turning it on. We get a detailed thing in the next chapter. That's pretty fucking brutal. Uh, party discussion. There's a woman admiring loudly her own tits in the mirror and the crowd agrees see right there they're propping up a woman's mental issues oh don't my tits look great in the mirror yes she does let's just keep going uh <laughs> they mentioned in the universe there's been a reboot of the brady bunch some decades later and much like the variety show they recast jan i don't know if the listener has ever seen the brady bunch variety hour uh, again, much like prog music, it's another thing from the seventies. that's horribly cheesy. And I will watch all fucking day long. Have you ever seen the Brady Bunch variety hour? No, I've never seen it. It is. They turn, they made a musical variety show out of a bunch of people who couldn't sing or dance. Okay. It's beautiful. Uh, oh, but in this new version in the infinite Jess universe, Jan Brady is played by a middle-aged black woman which <laughs> damn he called it he, he nailed it, it dude that's right we need more black bradys we need a black partridge family wow um, <laughs> they made a black honeymooners i take it back he is the prophet of our times um <laughs> oh god i i have the note here what do you think of like the extensive glossary of just big words he throws in this like right here we have a priori scopophiliacal and super subliminal like what do you think about all that just that just work. that's another thing where it's like because I, I i um i read one of his essays where he talks about like how he does read the dictionary mm -hmm. and shit like that it just is him uh just showing the reader that he's read a diction like he's just, just knows a, a lot of words mm -hmm. yeah because um this is a very like maximalist book like mm -hmm. he's putting words like that in a book i i don't know um <laughs> I, I do think there are better writers out there. Like I, I, I think like it, it's more um, rewarding as a reader. If it's, if you could say less. <laughs> right. Like I, but uh, it's, the thing I've been saying about this book is it's pissing me off. Cause there's a great 350 page book in this book, in this 1100 page book. And it just frustrates me. Like, I remember when I was talking about getting into this, I had had somebody actually said like, oh, the book's actually more enjoyable if you uh, have a dictionary ready at all times. Like, what Dude, part of that sounds fucking enjoyable to you? That sounds awful. Like, I, I do, like, uh, the more I read, I do find myself re more, like, appreciating minimalism versus this kind of thing. Hmm. This, is, this is, like, prog rock. This is just, like, stuffing as much <laughs> as possible into what you're creating and it yeah and it is kind of cheesy like you using these big silver dollar words it's yeah. just it's just um yeah it's like bragging it's it's like yeah you know those words cool 
Dude, are they adding anything to the story? Mm-hmm. I I don't know. I don't know. I might start looking at this book as prog rock now. I mean, one one paragraph that goes on five pages might be like the polyrhythm or like the the nine eight time signature of the literary world. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do look. My my favorite band is a uh, the Mars Volta. So like, I do love Fuck. that kind of shit. Yes. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Dude, this world goes back to normal. We gotta hang out. I fucking I'm I, I'm a bigger uh, I'm a bigger at the driving fan just because I found them first. But obviously, they're entirely different fucking animals. Yeah. Well, that yeah, I I found Mars Volta first because when I was in high mm. school, they were the band that was like still together. Okay. Uh, See, I I think you're a little you're a little younger than me. I found, but both the band refused and at the drive-in. I got in literally like seconds before they broke up. Unfortunately. Yeah, but the only the only one of those two bands I've actually seen live is at the drive-in because mm-hmm. they they got back together recently and I saw them like three years ago and it dude that fucking rocks. So, I one of my greatest concert going moments of my life will be in the pit for One Arm Scissor when that fucking song kicks in. Yeah, dude. Which yeah, like, I was in the I was getting tossed around. God, the last few years of my life, I have I hadn't been in a mosh pit in like ten years, and now every concert I go to, I end up in one and. It feels so good. It feels terrible. It feels after, great. But. Yeah, before before the world ended, I I just saw Mr. Bungle. You. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, we're. Uh, so I don't know if you know this. We're destined to be best friends. I can't. God, you saw. I can't. How was Mr. Bungle? I can't. I was so fucking mad. I couldn't go. I, oh, it was actually, incredible. It was great. I mean, did you see? Did you see like what they were performing? Yeah, they were doing Raging Wrath, the Easter Bunny, right? Yeah. So I went in hoping they would play something from one of the albums. Mm-hmm. They never did, but I still was like, "This is the best show ever!" Like, they, it was just a pure thrash, like metal show, and it wasn't the full Mr. Bungle lineup. It was. It was my. Right, they put they put Scotty in in there. Yeah. So it's like the uh, they have like the core three. They have Mike uh trevor Trey and Trey, and Trey yeah. yeah and then uh it was scotty in on rhythm guitar and dave lombardo on drums but it, mm. i still fucking loved it dude it was incredible see i've actually thought of infinite jest uh the way some people talk about infinite jest i've actually thought of mr bungle a few times because one of the things like i i refer to mr bungle's second big label disco volant as like it, it's so genius it's almost unlistenable yeah, I think that that might be my favorite album of theirs, but it's also the hardest to listen to. Right. But because- I, I I love all the stuff that they're doing on that album. Right. And I've read people describe them live, like, back in the day. Like, they were people, a band, like, you were going to get some moments of, like, genius, but they were going to make you fucking work for it. Like, because they, they might come out and they might do Tony Bennett covers for a half hour. Like, Tony Bennett as performed by like a new uh, a noise rock group and then just like little but then that's like the band itself where it's just they have such an up and down that like it gets so discordant and then when it comes back together it's like holy shit this most amazing thing ever and I want this book to be like that because the way people talk about this book is the way I talk about Mr. Bungle yeah so the this book is kind of like that the book you you start weaving in and out of all this like all the footnotes and all this horse shit, the big silver dollar words, but then it does, it does come together at the end. Again, I, my biggest hope is somehow throughout the entire narrative arc of me doing this podcast is I end up loving this book at the end. 
that would be the yeah. ultimate ending. Yeah, I think I think you'll enjoy like if you stick through it cuz I mean everybody says like it does take about 5 or 600 pages to like really <laughs> get into it, which is that's a tall order, but yeah. yeah, I mean it does it does like once you hit cross that hump it, it is pretty enjoyable. Right. Okay. All right, let's uh all right let's just knock this out uh we got a brief thing about the great convexity concavity the seeded areas of the northeast u.s that were relinquished to canada but are filled with toxic dump materials there are fans on both borders to keep the orders out the curve looks convex from the u.s side and concave from the canadian side so pretty much there's an infinite uh, argument over whether to call it the great convexity or concavity we go back. It's so weird how they do this. Like this entire chapter we're discussing is all about Joel, and then we'll just like dip out for little shit here and there. Yeah. So that's like that is one of the cool things about the book is within all of these like deeply human stories that are happening, the world around them is like kind of this almost post-apocalyptic America, mm-hmm. and not post-apocalyptic, but more more dystopic than the America right. that existed in when the book was published. Uh, and so it does, it does dip out of these like human stories to tell you like, so here's what the country looks like now mm-hmm. where, you know, they have the, they've annexed part of Canada or something. And, uh, and the, the, Oh God, I still don't know what the acronym stands for, but like the joint mega union of Mexico, Canada, and America. It's like, Oh, 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 Nan. Yeah. I forget. Yeah. I forget what the actual, I think maybe the, this section, there's a page that at least breaks down the, the calendar that they're using. I don't know if they tell you in this part, what that acronym stands for. No, I think that's a different part, but I know, yeah, somewhere in here they have, uh, that might actually be the first revelation that the first thing you read is chronologically the last thing that happens, because it's the only thing we've seen so far that takes place in the year of GLAD. Yeah, and there, there's a page in this this section that uh, has the calendar, like the the subsidized years right. uh, that they're being sponsored by these corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Joel was born and raised in Kentucky by a low pH chemist and his second wife. She sneaks into Molly's room and does some cocaine. It describes the similarities of Oren as a lover and cocaine. Says she prefers cocaine. Makes her feel taken care of. Very good quote here I liked. Uh, it never made her feel about to be entered by something that didn't know she was there, yet was all about making her feel good anyway coming in. Entertainment is blind. So yeah, I like I like the expanded use of drugs as entertainment, which uh, she refers she refers to overdose as too much fun, which I think is good. That would uh, that might that that might you know blunt some of the sadness of all the kids I went to high school with dying if we just started referring to it as too much fun instead of overdoses. Yeah, I've been there, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, says so she prefers it in freebase form referred to James's too much fun as bourbon man after my own heart takes the cocaine and quote a little under two deliberate minutes from too much fun for anyone mortal to hope to endure we get some detail porn as someone knocks on the door wearing an ascot with the knock that you use when you specifically know somebody is in fact already in there and the dimensions of the door and somewhere and english majors and i did he always loses me with that when he just does huge run-on sentences that yeah yeah i don't like i don't like that either i <laughs> uh 
Joelle sits with knees to her chin, uprightly fetal, deveiled, the prettiest girl of all time. A man tries to enter the room as she vomits in the tub. And aside from a brief, weird description of Enfield, Massachusetts, that's our section today. Um, yeah, I'm, I, I'm liking some of this. Uh, I, I really hated the idea of the Madame Psychosis radio show because I felt like it was so far out there and it didn't try to explain its appeal at all. Like, oh, yeah, she reads medical shit and people love it. Isn't that, you know, wacky and deep? Like, eh, not really. But the character herself, I'm really getting into. Um, would you say, again, this is somebody we just met. Is this somebody who uh, is one of the big people when we discuss addiction? Is she one of the main characters that's told through? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it would be it would be her and Don Gately. Mm. Um, yeah, I think even Oren a little bit. I mean, uh, yeah, like every character in this book is kind of dealing with some some kind of addiction, whether it's drugs or food or sex or something. It, yeah. Uh, so yes, yeah, sure. even even the en- Enfield kids, I guess you could say the uh, the competition has an addictive quality very much the you know always always chasing that first that first great hit but then having to consistent consistently approve improve if you're ever gonna accomplish anything on it so yeah even yeah even like the tennis academy just how hardcore they are about tennis Mm -hmm. you know everybody in this is taking everything they do very very seriously i mean even even mario seems you know very obsessive with his film stuff so yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, and that, I mean that was kind of David Foster Wallace took himself way too seriously, and yeah, you know he he wrote some great stuff. Uh, I don't, I to be honest with you, I like this book. I don't know if it's his best work. I think he's a he was a better essayist. That, that's than what he was. I enjoyed so far. What, what would you say? What would you say is his best work then, as somebody who's read more of it? Uh, I think his most like. I'm trying to think because it's been a while since I've read his essays, but he's got some great ones. Uh, the one he wrote about John McCain when he was first running for president, like 2001. Um, I think the original, when they republished it in the collection, they changed the title, but the original title of it is called up Simba. And it's like, uh, he just pretty much breaks down the shift in, uh, American politics at that time where, because John McCain's whole platform at that time was no bullshit. It was like the no bullshit express. Right. And David Foster Wallace says, so he pretty much says, so this idea of no bullshit is just in, in itself, another form of bullshit. Like this is also fake. Like this. Right. Bullshit being marketed is not bullshit. And yeah. And it kind of like, uh, predicts, you know, in a way predicts like what, what's happened with Trump where it's like, even Trump has like become this guy that everybody's like, hey, he tells it like it is, but Ugh. that's just another form of like horseshit being peddled right. to us. <laughs> so I think that like that the essay about John McCain is really great. He's got um, there's one he wrote about David Lynch where he was like hanging out on the set of Lost Highway. See, I need to read that because we've been on a big David Lynch kick in my household, so that might be a good one to get into. Yeah, the essay about David Lynch. Uh, I think. I think his biggest essay is the one about the cruise ship. It's called a supposedly fun hmm. thing. I'll never do again, which I first heard of. Cause I believe it was a, a title of a Simpsons episode. 
Okay. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. But yeah, that that's a really good one. Um I I would yeah, I would highly recommend uh the two essay collections. Uh uh one is called a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again, which has that essay and mm. several others, and then the other one is Consider the Lobster. Those are I think those are my like two favorite works of his are those okay. those essay collections. Okay. Yeah, cuz uh I've been talking to had this podcast out a little bit just because obviously if we're going through the book it only has so long a shelf life to pad it out a little bit i wanted to start doing a side series of like footnote episodes where we go through his other works so yeah that'd be some good stuff to look into all right all right well dalton i think we are done here so cool yeah man uh thank you for coming in again if you could tell us your uh plugs yeah, um, listen to The Loud Boys on available on iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, it's me, Robbie Goodwin, Joe Gorman, just just shooting the shit every week. <laughs> so subscribe to that. Um, I'm going to be on a rooftop in Williamsburg July 5th. I don't know where, so no reason to plug that because I don't have a, <laughs> an address for it. Well, hey, do we have you on uh, social media? You got a handle? That'd be something you'd be posting it on? Oh yeah. Uh, follow me on Twitter at new Dalton 69, nice. And you can follow me on Instagram at salty Dalty 69, uh, You got that branding down 69, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey dude, if that's all you need to get a trademark on it, I mean, that's, that, that might be enough of a precedent. You, you might, you might be sitting on gold there. Yeah. It's really fun to say when people say, Hey, plug your social media. And then I'm like, cool. <laughs> I do the 69-420 plug. Dude, one thing I absolutely love as a social meme, the fact that across the spectrum, that if anybody ever says the word 69, it is always expected that somebody will respond nice. No matter yeah. what it is. If we're yeah. reading if we're reading an obituary, it's still cool to drop it in there. So Yeah, it is fun. It's just, that's just good, clean fun, man. <laughs> that's right. Good good, clean double oral sex fun. All right, Dalton, thanks for coming in. I am going to press stop now, but we can talk for several minutes still.